Welcome to the Home Court Vantage Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Schlecht, and with me again is Alex Spears. And we're going to talk about uh, some stats uh, that are just kind of lesser known and some some players that may be being really effective, but it's not showing up in the box score. Um, and some players, like, we know that they're good, but we really don't know why they're good, or we know they're bad, but we don't know why they're bad. Uh, so we're going to discuss stats like that today, um, and Alex is going to tell us about screens, something that isn't covered a lot by traditional stats and that um, you kind of can feel out who's a good screener and who's not, but we're going to talk more definitively about screens today. Yeah, I, w- I was more interested in some of these guys who might be like specialists in really random things, because mm-hmm. um, we all know like a guy like Anthony Morrow, like he's a three-point specialist. And everybody, even casual fans, know that. But then there's guys who are actually specialists at setting screens. And one of those guys is Cole Aldrich for the Los Angeles Clippers. He's only playing 12 minutes a game. So I have a few stats for you. So the first one is set screen outcome efficiency. So this is the percentage of screen set that result in a team score, an open shot, or a free throw. So he's third among all players with 20.08%. And that's really good. Um, But then you look at the rest of the top 10 and you notice that DeAndre Jordan is first and Blake Griffin is 11th. So I was like, hmm, is this all because of just Chris Paul? Um, Which it partly is. Yes. Because Chris Paul, they have another stat called screens received per chance, which is basically how often is that player running a pick and roll. Um, And CP3 is sixth in screens received per chance meaning that there's only five players who receive more screens than him. And those five are Tony Parker, Dennis Schroeder, DeMar DeRozan, Jameer Nelson, and Mike Conley. So it's obviously a byproduct of playing with CP3, but even Mm -hmm. still, he is still a specialist. So there's a couple other stats. So one is set screen points per chance. So this is the number of points that are scored per chance created from a set screen. Cole Aldrich is actually tied for first. And those other guys don't even show up that high, um, DeAndre and Blake. And then the other one is he's fifth in set screens per chance, meaning like how often does he actually set screens when he's out on the court? Um, And just as a comparison, like DeAndre's tied for 54th, Blake Griffin is tied for 67th. To me, this just means that those two guys do a a lot of other things when they're on the court, whereas when Cole Aldridge is on the court, he is there to set screens and, as I learned, to roll. So his roll percentage is first in the NBA. So he rolls 63.71% of the time when he sets a screen, which is tops in the NBA. Yeah, and other so guys high. other guys in the top five are guys you would kind of think of. Ennis Cantor, mm-hmm. Festus Azili, Andre Drummond, and Tristan Thompson. Um, so he just really – he's like this pick-and-roll specialist. He only plays 12 minutes a game. But when he comes in, he is going to be setting screens and he's going to be rolling to the basket. And that is his specialty. That is what he does. <laughs> that is the reason he is in the league. And he is very lucky that he is on a team with someone like Chris Paul who can actually bring that out in him. Yes. Um, and you know who that guy was last year for the Clippers? Who ranked in these categories like this last year? Uh, Spencer Hawes? Big Baby. Oh, Big Baby. Yeah. Big Baby was one of the top t- – he was top 10 in set screen outcome efficiency last year. Um, I don't know that he ranks quite as high in the other categories, but he – I remember specifically that he, Blake, and DeAndre 
ranked super high in set screen outcome efficiency. Um, and that was just like, what? Like, big baby. Um, yeah. But Doc Rivers, like a lot of people, have, you know, crap on Doc Rivers um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but he gives guys specific roles. Uh, and he's this like third or fourth big off the bench. Like he's done a really good job of like finding these guys who are basically just big. Like Cole Aldridge is a big dude. Big baby's obviously big. Um and gives them those specific roles, and he makes them really effective. And also, obviously, Chris Paul, too. But I think Doc Rivers deserves some credit there. Yeah, and so I was interested. Uh, I went back to a year prior because I wanted to see. We always hear about how the league is becoming a pick-and-roll league. And I wanted to see how much that was true. So I went back to 2011-2012. Now, back in this time, James Harden was the sixth man of the year. Oh, boy. So Tyson Chandler was Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Kyrie Irving was Rookie of the Year. Kobe was First Team All-NBA. And Andrew Bynum had 30 rebounds in a game. Bynum. <laughs> so we're going back to 2011-2012, right? Tony Parker, Tony Parker was number one in the league in screens received per chance at yeah. .56. Only five years later, there are 20-point guards and three shooting guards whose screen received per chance is at least .56. So, like, all those players have jumped where Tony Parker was even just five years ago. And I think that's just one indication of how, how the game has changed. Yeah, de- definitely. And, the, I mean, it's just – it's a standard, and it's an easy way to space the floor um, for teams, and it's an easy way to, to run one action and get multiple outcomes from it. Um, yeah, I was actually going to recommend to people, if you Google set screen, out, set screen outcome efficiency – the first thing that pops up is a presentation from a Sloan conference from Vantage Sports, and it's free. I just clicked on it, and it opened up. Uh, <laughs> but, but it has like all the definitions of the stats, and it has some really interesting tables in it. And one of the things they talked about was how screens are significant predictors of offensive efficiency. So basically, the more screens you run, the more likely it is that you're going to have a higher offensive efficiency. So it really is an important stat to look at. It's something that we just don't get as a casual basketball fan. Right. One thing that I found really interesting, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about the Warriors and the Thunder and how they use screens differently. And the stat that really just has stood out to me is that Russell Westbrook, um, for the whole season, has set about 70 screens. And it may be a little bit more now, but probably not much more than 70. And Steph Curry has set over 700 screens. At this point in the season, Uh, the way that they use Curry uh, is really smart. It's it's not it's not like revolutionary because it's you know running these pin down screens and him screening for Clay Thompson's man is something they do a lot. I mean, it's not it's not something that's just like nobody could have ever thought of this, but it is very useful when you have guys that can catch and shoot like they have. It's very effective, and what really makes it work like is Draymond Green and Andrew Bogut and the fact that they can toss them the ball at the top of the key and run their action and know that both those guys can deliver the ball right where it's needed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're they're amazing. And the Thunder are very just predictable in their screen and roll game. 
Uh, and that's basically what they do is they run this, the high pick and roll or the side pick and roll with Kevin Durant. And that's really just about it, the way that they use screens. And they'll run a pin down screen for Kevin Durant to get open. Um, but beyond that, they're not overall, they're just not using screens as creatively. And some of that for me is that they, they just don't have the personnel. They don't have the Draymond Green or the Andrew Bogut um, to deliver those passes. So they need the ball in their, in their um, stars' hands all the time. But I, I just think that it's it's fascinating to see how all these teams use screens differently. Um, yeah, I was just looking at solid screen percentage for point guards, and it it looks like like Westbrook is the exception to the rule because it looks like a lot of these other point guards do set a lot of screens. Yeah. Um, so he was like exceptionally low even among point guards. He's he's very low, and and what's kind of frustrating is that like he could clearly set a good screen he's got the body right. and the physical makeup to set a really good screen um but they just don't they never use him like that they use him basically for out of timeout plays and and stuff like that just kind of here and there to set a screen and sometimes it it may even he may even record a screen accidentally <laughs> more than <laughs> like it's like a the purpose of the the play that they're running and the, and the Thunder are still really a highly efficient offense. And so th- they, because they have these two superstars that are really just mega talents, um, it kind of hides the, fa- it kind of hides the fact that they just don't have a creative offense. Um, so a few more guys that I just wanted to highlight as uh, guys who might be specialists in screening. Uh, one was Brandon Bass. So he's ninth among all players in set screen out- outcome efficiency, and he's fourth in set screen points per chance. Um, another one is Bismack Biombo, who is actually tied for first in both set screens per chance and set screen points per chance. So the idea that he's first in set screens per chance tells me that when he's on the court, he's screening. Like that's what they want him doing on offense, which makes sense because it's not like he has a lot of versatility on the offensive side. Right. So. <laughs> You don't want him just standing around, so you'd rather just get him involved, and you can do that easiest or the most easiest with uh, a pick and roll. Yes. Um, and then the other one was Mason Plumley, who wasn't necessarily elite in any of these, but he was just really solid across all of the screen stats. So he was ninth in solid screen percentage, and solid screen percentage is the percentage of screens set by a player that either make contact with the defender or reroute the defender. Um, he was fifth in set screen points per chance and then 21st in set screen outcome efficiency. And he's a guy who I've been really confused by this year. Every time <laughs> I watch him, I just don't like really know what he's doing well. I he's know. <laughs> incredibly inconsistent if you're just looking at his box score. Um, but it does seem that if he does have one skill, um, it's definitely screening. Yeah, and obvious, I mean, and it's very important. Um, and you'd like to see teams – I like to see teams use – they're screeners creatively. Like there are obvious guys, like kind of like the guys that you listed that like, this is like the only thing they can do, but using guys who are like super talented offensively to screen for another guy who's super talented offensively is whenever things get really messy for the defense. Cause you just, it's pick your poison. When Steph Curry sets the screen for Clay Thompson, like who are you going to like, like what is, there has to be a specific strategy for that. And it's usually, watch them score points because it's it's an incredible it's an incredible tactic and i think we'll start to see more of that as well as time goes on but um 
a lot of, yeah, like Bismack Biombo, like he's a very useful player this year in Toronto. And it's, it's hard to say that he has been this good anywhere else, or I guess he was just in Charlotte, but in Charlotte, he looks like a guy that may just be like your, really your fourth big and may not be anything more than that. But I could actually see him getting a starting center spot somewhere next year um, for the right team uh, just because he has been effective offensively screening and then obvi- and his defense has been tremendous this year for Toronto. Yeah, he had six blocks last night. Thank you, Bismack. He's good. Is he on your fantasy team? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so what I looked at, are you, are you done with screens? Yes. Okay. Uh, what I looked at is a stat that Alex talks a lot about, um, and one that we mentioned a lot, is defensive activity rate. And so I thought if I could, I wanted to list out the top and bottom 10 in defensive activity rate and just see if there are points against per shot correlated with that. Uh, so we'll start with the guys who are the most active, and they're all bigs. The top, like, 50 are all big men. They're all centers, mostly. Um, number one in defensive activity rate this season is Festus Azili at 1.72. Um, and his points against per shot match up pretty well at 0.88. So if really, if you're over one, you're pretty bad. You're a pretty bad defender. You're letting your opponent score way too much. Um, if you're in the 90s, that's really solid. Uh, but if you're in the 80s, like you're an elite defender. And that's where Festus Azili is. Uh, number two in defensive activity is a guy that we just talked about, Bismack Biombo, at 1.69. And he's at a .90 in points against per shot. So he's very good, um, nearly elite. Um, the third guy, this was interesting, Mike Mascala for the Atlanta Hawks at a 1.68. And his points against Prashad is at a 1.04. So he's a guy who's super active on the defensive end, uh, but is letting his opponent score at a pretty nice rate. So um, (laughs) not really working out for Mascala. Same same thing for this next guy, Aaron Baines out of Detroit. Their backup center, uh, super active, 1.68 defensive activity rate. Um, But then he's at 1.03, which is the fourth worst among centers. Um, so that's wow. kind of, that's really worrisome because that's kind of what he was brought in for for Detroit is to play, be a, a good defensive center and make his free throws uh, when Andre Drummond can't and he is not holding up his end of the bargain on the defensive end and really neither is Andre. I mean Andre Drummond. I mean he's he's got the physical profile of a good defender, but he's not a good defender yet. Uh, and what did you say the points against per shot for Aaron Baines was? One point oh three. Okay, I just went back to last season just to see what it was on the Spurs, uh-huh. and it was it was point nine last year on the Spurs. Oh wow! So and he had a similar similar defensive activity rate. Interesting. So I mean, a lot of it is system and who you're around, and um, so far it's just not working out for Aaron Baines in Detroit. Um, number five, another Warrior, Andrew Bogut, one point six five. Defensive activity rate and at a point eight nine points against per shot, he's elite. Um, Spencer Hawes, number six on the list for a defensive activity rate. He's a guy who would I, I would have never put on this list, but he's at a <laughs> one point six four, and his points against per shot is at point nine four, which is like good. Like he's been good this season. Uh, next, Hassan Whiteside, one point six three with a points against per shot of point eight seven, excellent. Uh, Steven Adams, number eight, 
1.62 defensive activity rate with a .91 points against per shot, which is really good. And then these last two guys are more of backups, um, but they've had great seasons. They have the same defensive activity rate, and it's Jeff Withy and John Henson. Uh, Jeff Withy um, has a points per, against per shot of .85, which is like nearly elite. I'd like to kind of see what he can do in larger minutes because it could be the fact that he's just playing few minutes with second with the second unit. Um, but he's been really good in the minutes that he has that he's gotten. And then John Henson's at a .87, which is really elite. Um, and again, I'd love. I, I think John Henson really does deserve to have extended minutes uh, and to be out there. But they just have too many big guys uh, for that to happen. Uh, so I. I don't, yeah, and they have too many big guys who aren't elite. Right. They just have like a bunch of pieces. They ha- I mean, and they have to play Greg Monroe a lot. Right. And Jabari Parker really at this point, I mean, he, Jabari Parker's a four. So like those guys take up most of the minutes and you don't get a ton of time with uh, John Henson. And it feels like John Henson should be a really good match with Jabari. With Jabari, yeah. Um, I'd love to see that more, but um, with the contract they gave Monroe and the kind of role that they probably promised him, uh, that makes it pretty difficult. But anyways, now, like most of these guys are their defensive activity is resulting in really great things just outside of Mike Muscala and Aaron Baines. Now, who is uh, just beyond John Henson? Oh, are you looking at it right now? <laughs> yes. It's Cole Aldrich. It is Cole. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what his points against Prashad is, though. He, um, I mean, I, I would assume that it's actually pretty good because that's, that's one of the things that he's been good at traditionally. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to look at this and to see, like, like these guys are putting in a lot of work and are, is it, what's it resulting in. And for the most part, these guys are doing really well. Uh, Aldrich is at point nine two points against per okay. shot. So like, he, yeah, he's good. He's good. He um, he's just not. I mean, he's a great backup big man. He's he's never going to really be productive enough to be a starting center, but he's a he's a really solid backup big. Um, so you would say that from what you did, at least for the top ten in general, defensive activity rate seems to. Be correlated with good defense, definitely. Except for a few weird cases. Yeah, and this is mostly just among centers because they seem to—they're the most active on the defensive end. Um, and then you'll see, I also have the least active players, and they're nearly all shooting guards. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's some interest. There's—I mean, there's some interesting things within this too. Jamal Crawford, the least active. Player really among players that are playing significant minutes, um, he's at 0.86 defensive activity rate compared to the most active Festizili 1.72. I mean, this is, a, uh, this is like a massive gap <laughs> in defensive activity <laughs> rate. Um, and his points against Prashad is at 1.07, which is, I mean, it's bad, but it's not just bottom of the barrel. Like, he's, yeah. he's it's it's passable. Uh, next guy, Marco Bellinelli, 0.88. He has the same 1.07. Uh, 
um, points against Prashat, which is, I mean, you, both these guys, like you, you, you see their physical profiles, you kind of know their game, and you really don't expect them to be defensive stoppers. So a 1.07 is kind of an expected number for them. Uh, Dougie McBuckets, Doug McDermott, number three in the bottom 10. He's at 0.90 for his defensive activity rate. And his points against Prashad is at 1.04. So he's actually a little bit better than I would have imagined. Like if the if the Bulls can play Doug McDermott and he is going to be as productive as he has been with his shooting, if he can be like Kyle Korver-esque, uh, and this is him really, this is like really his first year to get real playing time. And he's at a 1.04. I feel like he can learn and become a better, just a smarter player. I don't, obviously, he's not the most athletic, although he's been way more athletic than I thought he was uh, this season. Um, but he, I feel like he can become a better defender and actually be one of the key members of the Chicago Bulls team. So I was kind of um, impressed with, with a guy who's not very active on defensive end. He's not giving up a whole lot. Uh, D. Wade is number four. He's at a .91, and his points against Brashad is at a .98. So he's the, I mean, he's kind of what I just finished talking about with McDermott. Like, he's a guy who is just really smart. Like, he knows what to do on defense. Uh, he he definitely doesn't have all the physical tools that he used to, but he's still a smart defender and isn't allowing a whole lot of points on the other end and also isn't really physically exerting himself to make that happen. Uh, did yeah. you I was just looking back to 2011-2012, uh, so that was the year that they played the Thunder in the finals. And even back then, his defensive activity rate was below one. Interesting. What was it at? Uh, 0.99. Yeah. So he was a little more active than he is now, but still, it seems like it's been a part of his game for a while. It's not like he's just fallen off a cliff. Yeah, and this is largely a a, a wing... This is, I mean, it's it's hard to be just super active as a wing, and and especially a lot of these guys who are like Crawford and Wade, are kind of primary ball handling guys, and even Bellinelli has been um, in spurts for the Kings. Um, next guy, T.J. Warren for the Suns, who is out for the season, but while he was playing, had a .92 defensive activity rate, and then at a .99 points against per shot, which just isn't horrible. Um, and he's a guy who you look at and you think, like, wow, like, if the Suns are good within the next five years, like, he could actually be, like, a six-man-of-the-year candidate. Uh, he, he's a guy who I don't I don't think really matches well with, like, a starting lineup unless he's going to have the ball a lot because uh, he's not a guy who's going to be able to just sit in the corner and hit threes or anything like that. But he's a guy who you can put the – you can give him the ball and he can go get buckets. Um I'm a, I'm a big fan of T.J. Warren. I think that he could, is going to be a really good player in this league and really, to me, profiles to be one of the best six men in the league. Um, yeah, and just the, just the fact this year, like last year he was taking half a three per game, shooting 24%, and already this year he got it up to 40% on one and a half attempts per game. Yeah. And so, you know, if he just like keeps getting a little bit better every year, I mean, he's still only 22. Right. Um, he he really can develop. He, I mean, I felt like last year, going into the, that draft, people were a little high on him, even though they didn't really know what he was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> because back back then, he really didn't have a shot that much of a shot, but he was just like a really good scorer. 
And so at least he's developing something else. Yeah, I, th- I think that he he's going to be a guy who can put up you know 18 points off the bench for a team. I'm a, I'm a huge TJ Warren fan. I, I like him a lot. Uh, next guy, Sonny Weems. Um, oh, pour who, one out. He, but he did get picked up. Did you see that? Wait, he did? He got dropped by the Suns. Thanks. He got waved by the Suns and then got picked up by the Sixers, basically to get them over the salary floor. Oh, how nice of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and it ends up saving them money in the process. Um I'm sure some of those Sixers players are getting a little excited that they might get a bonus at the end of the year. But uh, thanks thanks to Sonny Williams, they don't. Um, (laughs) His defensive activity rate is at a .93, so he's not active. And he's so far on this list, he's the guy who's giving up the most points against Prashad at 1.09. So further evidence that he might be the worst player in the NBA. Yes. (laughs) He can't shoot, and he's giving up 1.09 points against Prashad. Not great. Uh, Kobe Bryant, number seven, at .94, and he's giving up uh, one points against Prashat, um, which is fine for Kobe. Uh, Marcus Thornton, uh, .94 at a 1.03, which is about where you'd expect him to be. Anthony Morrow, who we both watch quite a bit when he does play, um, and this matches the eye test that he's the ninth um, least active player on defensive activity right he's at a 0.95 but his points against Prashad is only at one does that surprise you well it's weird because he's I you know I didn't really follow him before he came to the thunder I was just vaguely aware that there was this guy who shot 45 percent from three and never got any playing time yeah. um but now that he's on our team like he he looks like he's trying hard and maybe it's just because he's one of the few guys on the thunder that like regularly shows emotion when he's playing yeah, he's, um, but he's I, 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 I have it in my head that he like is trying really hard, and maybe it's just because he like yells a lot. Yeah, um, <laughs> he does try. He just doesn't, yeah. He literally has. He's the most unathletic, like six six guy in the world, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he's, it, it, it is surprising, and maybe part of that is that he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time when they've kind of had this drop off defensively. So maybe he's been protected a little bit in terms of his stats. Yeah. I thought he played really well last night. I mean, he, he obviously, did. obviously shot the ball well, but I thought that he really gave great effort. Yeah, he's, he's – I mean, we've always said it. He's like a great rhythm player, and when he's in rhythm, he looks amazing. Yeah, he was good. This is kind of a sensitive topic, but I want to get your – I want you to weigh in before I give the last guy on this list. The Thunder have been without Dion Waiters. What do you think? What do you think his role should look like when he comes? When he comes back? Oh, I don't know because last night you watched them and you're like, "Wow, there's so much space and everyone's <laughs> scoring," but you can't base it on one game because the right. game before was miserable. Right. Um. So I, I don't know. It's really hard. I, I think the biggest thing that I saw last night is that I just want – I like having campaign on the floor more. Yes. Because when Kevin Durant has to run, be the point guard in those staggered lineups, it's just not great. Even though it, it worked that one season, um, for, for whatever reason, it's just not working as well this season. And I just like having campaign on the floor with him. 
to bring up the ball and, and get into an offense. I, I love the way, even when he's not playing great, when Camp Paul, Campaign gets the ball, he immediately is doing something with it. Like he already has ideas of what he wants to do with it. Right. He's already moving with the ball. He's never just like pounding the ball into the court. I I totally agree. I think, and that makes it hard because, like, really, whereas, I mean, if if Waiters has an ideal role, I just don't know where it is. I guess I guess to me, it's when he comes back, maybe they sit Randy Foy. Like that's what I would do. Yeah, that makes the most sense. It's just it's give, also- <laughs> give him all of Randy Foy's minutes. It also feels like the last thing they're going to do. It seems like, like I, what? The last thing that they're going to do. I know. I mean, they. It's it, to me. If I were to guess, what Donovan's going to do is that when, whenever Dion comes back, that Cam goes back to the bench. Yeah, I mean, bringing a washed-up veteran in and playing them over your young guy is a Thunder tradition, and I don't know why they would go away from it this year. <laughs> I hope that I mean you just watch the ball move in the second unit with him, and it just it's just so much more smooth. I, I just and I think that they're going to need that he's a spark, and sometimes you can't play him, and I understand that. Sometimes he's just going to get burned by whoever he's guarding, but I just think that he has to play because I honestly think in like the next two years he's going to be one of the best five players on the on the Thunder. And why not give him this valuable experience of a, you know, a playoff run coming up, um, rather than just let him sit and let Randy. I mean, Randy Foy is not a long-term solution for anyone, so I just don't, I don't understand the point of that. Yeah, and it's not like our other options are so great that it's like obvious. Like, well, you can't play him over him. Like we're talking about like end of the bench guys for most other teams, right? Yeah, it it doesn't. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And he uh, brings something that they don't have. Like, they, like Foy and Waiters are just not the creator that he is. Like, the, the natural creator that he is. Yeah. They're, like com- they're, combo, they're combo guards, and they can, they can drive and kick. Like, they can do that, but they're, you're right. They're not – they don't have the, the court vision. They don't have – they're not nearly as smooth um, – they're, they're just not as good. Yeah, it really feels like when Waiters or Foy get the ball out on the wing, they're first looking for a way for them to score the ball, and then if that doesn't work out, they'll look to pass, whereas it's the complete opposite with campaign. Yeah. He's just looking to make create space for other people. Yeah, and, and Cam is one of those basketball players that it's not just I'm, I'm either looking for this or I'm looking for that, but I am, I'm going through a process – and while I'm doing that, I'm making the defense work. Right. Um, I I just think that it doesn't make any it doesn't make sense to me not to play him uh, the rest of the season. And I honestly think that if they're going to beat the Spurs or the Warriors in the playoffs, they're going to need a guy like Cameron Payne to come in and be a spark plug. Because um, I he's just. And this is all just feeling. Like I know this is a very stats-based podcast, but I just have the feeling that he's a, he's a guy who like wants the moment, who can feel the moment, um, and is a guy who's not afraid. And I know that he hasn't, he didn't look good in the first game against the Warriors, but I think that give this guy a little confidence, give this guy the ball, and I think that he can make stuff happen 
Um, and I really don't have that belief in Randy Foy. I think that Dion Waiters has that belief, but I don't think he can make it happen. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I just think that you just have to play Cameron Payne because I do think here in a couple of years, ideally if this core stays together, that they'll be closing games with the big three that they have plus Cameron Payne and um, Steven Adams. And I think that that lineup is going to be really, really hard to deal with. So, anyways, we can get off that tangent now. Um, can I just – I don't know if you saw the Grizzlies-Rockets game last night. I don't know why you would have. I saw the score. Yeah, I saw the score as well. And then I went to the box score, and there were legitimately two names I had never seen in my life before. <laughs> For the Grizzlies? Yeah, one was B. Weber. Yeah. Who is, do you, could you guess his first name? Have you ever heard that name before? I, I've heard the, I've heard Weber. I've heard people talk about him. I know that he was a guy that the Heat were developing, but I don't know his his first name. It's Briante. <laughs> Briante Weber, and then A. Stephenson. It's not Stevenson. It's Stevenson with the N missing. Oh, and this is a- Alex Stevenson. 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 Twenty eight. He's a twenty eight year old six ten power forward. Wow. I just uh, really enjoyed learning about <laughs> the Grizzlies last night. The poor I Grizzlies. I didn't know. So the Grizzlies, okay, first I'm going to give you my last guy, and then let's talk about the Grizzlies. Kevin yeah. Martin, 10th least active player in defensive activity rate. His points against per shot, 1.15. He has been awful <laughs> so bad this season. And that's why I was a big proponent of the Thunder not going after him. And said, "Good luck, Spurs, because this dude is—he lets everybody score on him." Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say he lets everyone down. <laughs> he does that too. <laughs> so the Grizzlies—they're in the fifth spot. Some people are saying that they—they they think that this—that they're just going to be there. That they're just going to be glued to the fifth spot. Matt um, Moore. What do you think about that? Um, it's. I feel like there's just not enough games left for them to significantly drop. Yeah. Um, even with the schedule they have, I mean, they're, they're right now, it looks like they're four and a half up on the Blazers yeah. uh, for the fifth spot. And then compared to the Jazz, they're up seven. And I think there's only like 16 games left. I, I just don't see that. They're definitely not going to fall out of the playoffs. I mean, maybe Portland jumps them, but Portland's been kind of bad lately. What about Houston? Um, I think yeah, Houston, Houston, is, them? Houston is the one team that seems to be catching a little fire. <laughs> I mean, not, not a lot of fire. Uh, <laughs> they're six and four in their last 10. Uh, they're on a one game winning streak. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course, I'm going to say Houston because I picked them to win it all <laughs> prior to the season. So I'm always going to <laughs> believe in this like mysterious talent that they have that has never uh, shown itself this season. Okay, um, so... But yes, I would give them the best shot to jump them. Yeah, I think Houston could do it. So here's from March 25th on, here's the Grizzlies schedule. Tell me how many wins you think they get out of these. Back. And do we know any, anything about who, when his people are coming back? Mike Conley's like supposed, Conley. to be, he's supposed to be gone for three weeks. Okay. <laughs> so March 25th. I'm going to tally this wins and losses for the Grizzlies. They have a back a home and home with the Spurs. 
Okay, it sounds bad. I'll give them two losses. <laughs> two losses. Then they play the Nuggets. At home? At home. Oh, man. Do we know when Lance Stevenson's getting back? <laughs> no. Uh, I, it's it's going to be hard for me to say when with with their current roster. I feel like the Nuggets have been good. Yeah, the Nuggets Lately. have been fine. Lately. I'm giving them a loss. Then they play the Raptors. That's a loss. A loss. And they play the Magic. They can win that. We'll give them, yeah, we'll, good. We'll give them that. <laughs> uh, then they play the Bulls. That's another That's loss. That's brilliant loss. Then they play the Mavericks. Um, eh, you never know. The Mavs were <laughs> fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> then they play the Warriors on April 9th. I think that's a win. <laughs> then they play the Clippers on April 12th. <laughs> yeah, okay. And then they play the Warriors again on April 13th. So you're saying that they, they could free fall even though they are up a lot of games. This is their last 10 games. We gave them uh, yeah. one, one win in their last 10 games. And they may surprise us and win more than that. But if they lose nine out of ten, they could, I could, they could fall a lot further than people think. They could. I still don't think they would drop out of the playoffs, though. Yeah, I. <sighs> that's just too huge of a gap to make up. Even with, even if they did go one and nine, the other team would basically have to like win eighty percent of their games or something. Well, let's take a look at what the Houston Rockets have. <laughs> Because I do. Oh, I was I was talking about the Jazz, but yes, I do think the the Rockets could jump in. Uh, just real quick, the Blazers, the Jazz, the Jazz beat the Cavs last night. Uh, yeah, they did. The Cavs look really miserable. Yeah, both on the court and like emotionally. Yeah, but then but they c- killed the Clippers on Sunday. I don't know. That's a weird team. What were you gonna say? Oh, just that the Blazers, their next five is at San Antonio, at the Pelicans, at Dallas, home Dallas, and at the Clippers. Oh, boy. And they've lost five of seven after going on that huge run. Yikes. That's not great. Um, so the last remaining games for the Jazz. Let's see if this is even possible. So the Jazz win and loss... Uh, they play March 17th. They play the Suns. That's a win. They'll beat the Suns. They play the Chicago Bulls on March 19th. Uh, at, at Chicago? I don't know. Chicago had a really nice win last night. Yeah, they did. That was really impressive. I'll give them a loss there. Then they play the Bucks on the road. Win. Then they play the Rockets on the road. That's a big game. It's a huge game for the standings. March 23rd, that's a big one. Um, and that's a, on a back-to-back. They have to go at Houston, at Oklahoma City. Record those two as losses. Yeah. And then play the Timberwolves. Win. That's a win. The Lakers, that's a win. win. Uh, Warriors, that's a loss. Loss. Timberwolves, that's a win. Phoenix, win. Phoenix is a win. Spurs, Clippers. Spurs, Clippers. You give them one of those? Yeah, I'll split that. Okay. Nuggets. Win Denver. 
Mavs. And then that, that Dallas game could potentially be huge. That could be. Massive. And they get it at home. And they um, get the I would Lakers. go for the Jazz right now. So give them like four losses, four, four or five losses in that stretch. Yeah. Five losses and could be 10 wins if it yeah, all goes well. Like there's, their schedule is pretty soft. So it's going to be yeah. close. I think I would it, like the Jazz to make it. I think they're more interesting than the Mavs or the Grizzlies or maybe even the Rockets. Yeah, they could be. But is, what's, what's Gordon Hayward's status? Uh, hurt. <laughs> I don't know. I know that he's out, but I don't know how, for how long. Oh, I don't know what his injury is. Yeah, I think the, the West race is going to be really interesting. Do you have a preference as of right now, like if you could rank those five teams who you'd want the Thunder to play? Oh, I mean, obviously you don't want them to play the Grizzlies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's, then, who, that's who everyone is hoping that they, that they can get. Like the Clippers would be ecstatic if, the, if Memphis would stay at the five. And then do you think Dallas, too? Oh, man. Dallas yeah. has been really bad. Yeah, I think so. I think you can definitely out-athlete the, the Mavs. And, and then I'd probably take so bad. Portland next. Yeah, and then Houston. Like, you don't, you don't want to play them. No, yeah, I, I don't, don't know if people are talking about that yet, but you do not want to play the Houston Rockets in the first round. I don't think that the – I don't think that they could beat – I think they could beat the Clippers potentially, but I don't think they're beating Golden State, San Antonio, Oklahoma City. But they're a team that could push, that could really push all three of them. Well, I could easily see being in a seven game series with Houston. That would suck. With a bunch of really annoying losses. Yes. Yeah, it's very possible. And they could push the, I mean, like they can push the Spurs too. They can. They match up well with them. I think that the Warriors would smoke them. But I think that if they, if Houston, I mean, if as of now, like that's that's the San Antonio Spurs first round matchup. Good. And, and if the Spurs are <laughs> if the Spurs are going to make it to the finals, they'll have to beat the Rockets, the Thunder, the Golden State Warriors, and then beat the Cavs in the finals. That's a tall order. Like that's really that's really difficult. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they can make it through that. I don't know if, like, I mean, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, like, those, those aren't going to be sweeps. You know, they're going to all be, like, six or seven games, I would guess, if they're going to win them. I hope they get up to the fifth seed, because they're only a half game back of Portland for the sixth seed. Yeah. It's very, um, I think it's very seems possible. likely at this point. Because then, I mean, whoever comes out of the Clippers – Houston will play Golden State. And I think really either one of those teams is not going to be an easy out for Golden State. Yeah, I'd really like to see a Clippers-Warriors matchup. Even if it was five or six games, I just feel like the Clippers play them really well. They just can't, can't beat them. They're kind of like the Thunder. Yeah, they, they put, they've they definitely pushed them this season. Yeah, they give you a lot of hope. But I wonder what Blake and their, I mean, their perimeter guys are just worse than the, even the Thunder's perimeter guys. And it doesn't. Yeah. It does not help that Paul Pierce is non-existent. Basically, he's just resting. 
<laughs> Honestly, like that's what happened last year. Is we were having these same conversations about Paul Pierce before the playoffs. And then he was instantly, I mean, he was hitting big time shots closing the game. So, I mean, I mean honestly, like I'm, I'm not going to like write him off because I do think that he could come up big for them. But right now it just doesn't look good. In fact, one of the stats, other stats I looked at was points allowed per screen. And Paul Pierce was in the top five for that stat. I saw that. <laughs> That's kind of like what he's been specializing in this year. Uh, Gordon Hayward has plantar fasciitis in his right foot. That is a chronic issue. I remember when Joe Kim Noah had that. It lingers. <laughs> it does linger. <laughs> um, he's questionable to return against the Suns. This was on the 14th. Man, I don't know. That's... If Hayward can't go, there's no way they're making the playoffs. Uh, they just beat the Cavs last night with Sheldon Mack. I know, and they're getting a three-game and win Rodney streak. Hood. Oh, Rodney so Hood's so good, man. Maybe, maybe really this good. is maybe this will be maybe they can, and maybe Rod, this will, Rodney Hood will break out. Yeah, and then they'll trade Hayward because they don't even need him anymore because Rodney Hood's so great. And trade him to the Thunder for Randy Foy. Sounds great. Let's I love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, may, I mean, actually, they could make it. Dallas could. I could see Dallas easily falling out and Utah taking their spot. They're only two games. Dallas is only two games up of Utah. That's what I would like to see. I have a vendetta against the Mavericks going back many, many years. <laughs> um, let's. I wonder what the Mavs schedule looks like. Cause, I mean, like these. Like the last ten games or so are really going to matter for all these teams. Oh boy the the Ma- the the Mavs have their next few games. Oh here's here's their next few games. They play the Cavaliers March sixteenth. Then they play the Warriors on the eighteenth. Then they have a home and home on the twentieth and twenty third with the Portland Trail Blazers, which will, those will be huge games. Um, and then they play the Warriors again. That's rough. So but the, and then it gets make, and then it gets yeah. really awesome for them. They play the Kings, Nuggets, Knicks, Pistons, Timberwolves. And then to end the season, they have the Rockets, <laughs> Grizzlies, Clippers, Jazz, and Spurs. Man, like yeah, there's gonna be some big rough. time games down the stretch. Like that, yeah, Mem- that Memphis aren't. game is big time. That Rockets game is big time. That jazz game on April 11th, like they could be playing for their playoff spot, kind of like the Thunder were and the Pelicans were at the end of the season last year. Uh, I think that we'll see something really similar to that. Um, and if they end up needing that last game, I mean, the Spurs will probably be pretty much in the, in the two spot by then. I mean, they already are. Uh, yeah. But so they might be sitting their guys if they need that last game. Yeah. Unless I mean, unless like the Spurs have sixty nine wins, then they're like, we need, we'd love to get seventy, and we're just gonna, stomp, yeah. we're just gonna stomp you. Remember the Spurs tried to win the last game of the season against the Pelicans and didn't. Yeah, they're huge jerks. That was that was horrible. Scott Brooks might still be our coach if they had won that game. That's right. We wouldn't hear him on all these podcasts. Oh, uh, you know what else would have happened? We might have Justin Anderson on our team. That's true. <laughs> so I like. I like campaign more, but campaign uh, is, Justin, is definitely better. <laughs> yeah, Justin Anderson did have a really awesome block last night, though. Where oh. he 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 tapped it right before it hit the glass, and then he caught it in midair oh, and man. retained possession. I like him. I like him a lot. 
I think he's I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be a great three and D wing, but he may not be as good as Josh Eustis. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I felt so bad that last night was the first time we might have actually seen Houston, and he was on our D League team. I know. But he had no chance. <laughs> I went and watched him play the other day with the Blue. Oh, that sounds cool. He was. <laughs> he and McGarry were playing, and McGarry was really good. Um, yeah. Yeah. He he was clearly the best player on the floor, um, and Houston was probably. I mean, he he was actually really good. His stroke looked really nice, and. Um, he's got a really his he's got an NBA body. I think he can actually play. Um, I don't know if he'll get the chance to, but I honestly think that he could actually be a three and D guy given the chance. I don't you think maybe Houston could end up being like the third option on a D League championship team. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> I actually I I don't know. I I don't think he's horrible. I don't think that he's just terrible. He actually has some skill, but that I don't, would be awesome. I don't know if he has high level skill, but um, he definitely is set apart um, from a lot of those D League guys, which is kind of encouraging. That's okay, good. we can stop talking now. Thanks for listening to the <laughs> Home Court Vantage podcast. Uh, you can follow Alex at Al Baby Cakes. You can follow me at Andrew underscore Schlecht. Um, you can check out all the stuff at VantageSports.com. Uh, make sure that you leave us an iTunes review. Thanks. Uh, we have five stars from five different people on iTunes. Thank you so much for leaving those reviews. Uh, continue to do that, and have a great rest of your week.